Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my beautiful friend, Serena Lau. Hello. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest and a new area of expertise to get stuck into. Currently, we've switched things up whilst we're in lockdown. So we're asking our guests for their three favorite ingredients that are in their kitchen cupboards right now. And we then use those ingredients to create a recipe that they can make at home. We also ask our guests to share their healthy habit, which is something that enhances their well-being. And we put it to the test and chat about how we got on with them. This week, we're speaking to Pippa Richardson. Pippa is a yoga teacher, speaker and founder of The Girlness Project, an initiative that supports girls in building a compassionate relationship with self and tapping into their own limitless potential. She works with both teenage girls and women struggling with body image and eating disorders to help them experience their bodies as a safe and positive place to be. We had such a soothing chat with Pippa. She is so wonderful and her healthy habit is a really, really lovely one that we dive into a little later on, so keep listening. Her favourite ingredients in her cupboards were sun-dried tomatoes, tahini and sweet potatoes. So keep listening as well to hear the recipe that we made for her. We also wanted to say a massive thank you to all of you for sticking with us through this time of uncertainty, as we love bringing you these episodes and recipes. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the world to us if you could please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends. Without further ado, here is the lovely Pippa Richardson on Kitchen Club. Hi Pippa, welcome to Kitchen Club. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Hi, Serena. Hi, Sarah. It's such a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming, Pippa. How are you? I think it's important to speak from this moment. So in this moment, I am really good, actually. And it's a beautiful, beautiful day where I am. So this feels like a treat to be able to sit down and speak with you both this afternoon. So shall we go straight in with ingredients, Sarah? Yes, let's. Um, So Pippa, 
We have changed things up for current recording and we asked you for your three <laughs> favourite ingredients that are in your kitchen right now at the moment. Can you remember what they were? I can because they are the ingredients that I always seem to have at my fingertips, which are sweet potatoes, chickpeas and sun-dried tomatoes. Chickpeas? I thought and it was tahini. Oh my goodness, was it, it was. Chickpeas? I think it was tahini, but we used both, so it's okay. It was, Serena, you're so right. It's because we changed our um, ingredients when we shifted gears for being at home. So I guess chickpeas and tahini come together for me because I am a hummus addict mm. <laughs> so, so the weird. two are very very closely aligned Pippa why are those always at your fingertips are they just something that you're drawn to all the time when you go out shopping you're like I must have those three things I guess for me they feel like real staples um sweet potato is just I think sweet potato and avocado were some of my first like two foods that I was given when I was little. Um, so I've obviously got a kind of deep-seated um, kind of craving for them. Um, and chickpeas and tahini. I I used to live in the Middle East. So tahini is an ingredient oh, wow. that's used a lot. So I, I feel like I have that probably most days, whether it's in a smoothie or hummus or a salad dressing and yes. chickpeas just super easy and can find their way into many, many dishes. So yeah, I guess a mix of comfort and nostalgia and, and ease also, right? Because it's, um, you know, we don't always have the pleasure of gifting as much time to ourselves to cook, depending on what our days and weeks look like. Pippa, yeah, where absolutely. and when did you live in the Middle East? I moved there when I was 11, 10. Wow. And I, my family, we, we lived in Dubai for, I was out there for two and a half years. So I went to school out there which is maybe a fun fact. That is a fun <laughs> Not many fact. people know that. <laughs> Not many people know that. Um, so yeah, I have, I mean, my experience of it was that it was really like truly being in Aladdin's cave. And at that period in time, Dubai definitely didn't have this international um, kind of stamp and, um, you know, popularity that it has right now it was very much the desert and <laughs> um really we lived in the middle of nowhere so it's a very special time and for me middle eastern food is is my absolute favorite mm. and what about sun-dried tomatoes pippa oh sun-dried tomatoes of course um i i don't have a story behind them i think of all <laughs> the types of tomatoes <laughs> they're just my favorite um and I think again it kind of feels like they're so versatile I put them on salads um on pasta um I love butter bean and sun-dried tomato hummus mm, <laughs> so I feel oh yeah I'm so so good 
So they seem to find their way in sneakily into also lots of dishes. I used to have a real fear of sun-dried tomatoes when I was a a child. What? Why? I used to think they looked like tongues in a jar. They kind of do. They kind (laughs) of do. I've never thought that, Sarah. (laughs) But I do love them. Absolutely adore sun-dried tomatoes. So they're fab ingredients. (laughs) Serena, do you want to tell us what you made out of Pippa's lovely three ingredients? I do. I will tell you what we wanted to make. And then when we couldn't get the ingredients, what we then ended up making. So we were going to make stuffed sweet potatoes with black beans and feta and sun-dried tomatoes um, with lots of fresh coriander, maybe some avocado and a big drizzle of tahini. But neither Sarah nor I could get black beans. So instead we made, and this would not usually be my vibe, but I was actually really into it, a sun-dried tomato, sweet potato and chickpea stew. So it's in like a paprikery, spicy, sweet tomato-y sauce with tahini stirred through it. So it's like a little bit creamy and rich. Um, And then with lovely little salty sun-dried tomatoes, sweet chunks of roasted sweet potato and delicious chickpeas. It was so yummy. Ordinarily, we would have it with rice and avocado. That's like how I pictured it. But we just had it for lunch with some rocket and a little bit of grated cheddar on top. And that was very good as well. Oh, yummy. So Pippa, did you get to make it in advance? I did. I actually ended up making it for dinner and then also had it for lunch <laughs> today. Oh, lovely. I had two versions. I had, um, actually last night I didn't have any rice. So I ended up, um, having it with some quinoa and then I ended up having it with sourdough. Oh, delicious. Lunch, so yummy. Yum. I'm so glad you enjoyed it, Pippa. It was so delicious. And I feel like it's, I've definitely got a few meals left so thank you Serena because you've saved me from doing some more cooking but yeah it's just it was like a dish made for me so thank you for sharing it so shall we dive right in Pippa could you please tell us a little bit about what you do and a bit of a whistle stop tour of how you got to where you are today sure So I'll tell you where I am at right now. (laughs) So I am a yoga and body awareness therapist and I work in a number of different settings, but most of my time is spent either working in the NHS or at a private clinic, both in London. And both of those settings are working in intensive day treatment program for eating disorders. So in the NHS, I work with children and adolescents. And in the private clinic, I work with adults. So 16 plus. And my role at the clinic is that I run the embodiment program. So what that means is that I run the yoga and movement sessions. And I also run um, sessions that are body image based and menstrual cycle awareness. And outside of those two settings, I have private clients. So I specialize in working one-to-one. And two and a half years ago, I set up the Girlness Project. And the Girlness Project was an initiative, really, I guess, that was in response to some of the crisis 
management or some of my time is spent working in kind of on the front line of this very serious mental health issue. And I felt, and this was based on my kind of personal journey of being a teenager and growing up that we weren't doing enough in terms of our education for girls and young women on how to develop a healthy relationship with our bodies and ourselves. So the Garners Project is, I guess, my kind of heart space or my heart offering. It feels like it's a piece of me. And I go into schools, both primary and secondary schools. And I also work in universities where I go in and deliver talks and workshops, mainly based on the kind of key themes that I I am passionate about, which is body image, self-compassion and resilience and media literacy. So really kind of body literacy and media literacy. And in terms of how I got here, it's been a long and very windy road. But as for most of us in terms of individuals that are self-employed or working in um, the kind of well-being space, um, the journey really started with me. And in particular, my teenage years were pretty troublesome. And I would say that really kind of early teens or by my early teens, I had developed a pretty toxic relationship with my body and myself. And that was manifesting itself in all kinds of unhelpful patterns of behaviours. The the patterns of behaviours are there often to, as a way to kind of self-soothe or or protect ourselves from challenging feelings or challenging times. But for me, by the time I was then in my young, kind of early 20s, I was finding that living in my system or living in my body was an an increasingly challenging place to be. Alongside this, I had gone to university and the irony is that I then chose to study fashion. (laughs) So (laughs) I, (laughs) I chose an industry, like lots of young women, I think, who are, you know, drawn to the bright light of the beauty and fashion industry. Um, So I went to study fashion and when I got to my final year, uh, I managed to get a job. My first job when I left university was working for L'Oreal head office in London. And I was working on the L'Oreal Paris division. And at the time it was my dream job. But um, I think there was a significant fallout for me because I was struggling personally. And then I went into an industry that amplified, um, you know, my internal struggle or, or a lot of my kind of personal struggle to do with body and body image. So after working in that industry for a number of years, I, I guess that there's a number of ways that I could frame it, but essentially I hit rock bottom and I had practiced yoga on and off. Actually, interestingly, I had tried as a teenager because my mum had practiced yoga, but like most teens, anything that my mum did, I was kind of not 
that (laughs) um, hot, like interested in. So I had kind of dropped it, but at that rock bottom place, I, something in me, I got home from working a long day. Um, Anyone that's worked in the fashion and beauty industry knows what those long days are like. And something prompted me to write on a piece of paper, what makes you happy? And to this day, I have no idea, you know, what made myself do that or something deep inside of me asked that question. And I was in my early 20s. And one of the things that I wrote on that page was yoga, which was a surprise Mm -hmm. to me because it's... (laughs) It wasn't a practice that I had really um, committed to. I was very, I I always think those people that practice yoga and say that they fell in love with it the first time they practiced, I'm in awe because that was not my experience (laughs) at all. Me neither. neither. (laughs) Oh, great. It's so great to hear that. Um, But something in me, I think, realized that sometimes when I went, I would just leave feeling a little bit better. And I decided that week that I was going to get to a yoga class and I picked a totally random class in London. It happened to be at Tri Yoga Primrose Hill where they used to um, operate from. Mm -hmm. And I chose a style of yoga that most people have never even heard about, which is Scaravelli. And oh, I've never heard of that. It's niche, I think. Is it? Oh, it is. It's so very niche still. It's a very niche practice. But something happened in that class. And I, I guess for me, that was the moment where I had the experience of what it is to come into my body in a way that felt safe. And as somebody that had been occupying my body in such a disassociated state for so many years that was a really profound moment and it also highlighted for me how up until that point yoga had been actually just another place for me to disassociate and to take up shapes but to Mm -hmm. (laughs) not necessarily be in the room because it was really hard for me to be in the room and that was the start, really. I went on, actually, to, I ended up training. One of the teachers that I trained with was that teacher. So that was the kind of the change of tact, really, um, in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. you've, you've just spoken about so many beautiful things just there. And I think, mm. I really think the work you're doing is so important and so, so needed. And I, I think probably for a lot of our generation we all sort of felt that that way growing up and as teenagers and I saw something on your website that said that every girl should feel rooted in her being and know that she has a right to be there and that just hit me so powerfully because it is such a whirlwind time isn't it growing up and and seeing women who we're like supposed to be looking up to as teenagers and lots about body image and it's extremely challenging but to know that you are sort of rooted in your own body is just the most powerful powerful thing and so so important to to be able to bring that to girls now I also think that it's it's amazing that you're sort of you're focusing on this preventative care rather than offering a cure and 
it's so important, especially at the moment, well, continuing as mental health uh, is the problems around mental health are on the on the rise. And so this is really one of the biggest, most important things at the moment. I just want to ask, Pippa, if you were to have your teenage self in one of your workshops now, or maybe this can go to so the, the girls you speak to, but it'd be really nice if you could imagine yourself as a teenager. What is the one biggest piece of advice you'd give your teenage self? Hmm. <laughs> I think in terms of speaking to my younger self or speaking to any young or not just young. I mean, I feel like when you repeated back to me what I said about how I hope that, you know, every single girl can feel rooted in her being. It's like even hearing you say it, it's like, I still need to hear it, right? <laughs> it's like we yeah, all yeah, still absolutely. need to hear that. Irrelevant yeah. of our age. But Definitely. I think for me, I guess what I would say to my younger self is that the body can be a place to not just experience pain or challenge, but it has the capacity to be somewhere that you can experience deep joy and deep pleasure. And it's the container for our intuition. So as somebody who existed in the body and it feeling like the enemy, right? It just felt mm. like 24 seven was a prison to live in the idea that it could also be joy or that it could also be this incredible source of information that could actually guide me for the better. So it could be a home and somewhere that I could find comfort or rest or peace in was something that I didn't know was possible. So I guess what I would want to say is it is possible. <laughs> and and I think part of the work that I do now is supporting us to experience all of that, that we can experience the body as a challenging place to call home. And we might also feel the joy of the sun on our skin for 60 seconds um, we yeah. might feel that we're overwhelmed by emotions or that it's hard to get up in the morning. And it's also the place where we feel in, um, you know, that we feel connection to others that we can touch and receive and give hugs. Um, I think that's where I'd start, <laughs> but so, so much to say. Oh, I just, just like throwing up so many questions <laughs> and so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> I um, I really feel particularly drawn to the Girlness Project because I think it's something that I really, really needed as a teenager. And reading the website last night when we were preparing for this, it, like it, it actually made me feel quite emotional because mm. I think for anybody who has had troubled or yeah, difficult teenage years, which is way more people than you would realize. They don't have any support network that's not, you know, their friends or a relation or a teacher. Um, and there's so much value, I think, and there would have been so much value for me in being able to talk to someone who was totally unrelated, but also who was like, this, this is sounds 
So um, it sounds like I'm like not quite getting it to say talk to someone cool, but like someone young and who gets it and mm. someone kind of, <laughs> this sounds like such a granny compliment, someone contemporary. <laughs> you know what I mean though? Yeah. Like when I was at school, Absolutely. The, the option was to go and talk to the school counsellor and no offence to her, she was a lovely lady, but she was like, she was old and she didn't understand me and she didn't like get what I was going through. And I think to have someone like you going in, who's like relatable and, and, and yeah, like cool. cool. <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean? And but I, I think it's such an interesting point though, right? Because we have these, we have our support systems in terms of family systems, hopefully not always, but hopefully, and the school system. And yet, if any of us cast our minds back, I remember for me certainly that I didn't want to talk to my mother <laughs> or to my sister necessarily about some of the things that I was challenged by. And then in the school system, we could um, make the assumption that it's challenging to learn about sex education from your male geography teacher or mm -hmm. to learn about your menstrual cycle from your male maths teacher who also happens to be taking the PSHE class today. So yeah. I think it's a really, really important point. Also, what comes up often is, for me, questions around my own family setup. And I have uh, the the kind of gift that my parents are still together. I grew up in a loving household. I had a privileged education. I had all the boxes ticked in some ways. And yet <laughs> I suffered in silence for a number of years. And so I think that it's really fair for us to consider that no parent or school system can possibly cover all bases. And actually, even if they are open and they are able to have, you know, difficult and awkward conversations, even then a young person might not want to speak to them. So then where do we go from that? Because we're in stalemate. And I'll never forget the first workshop that I did in a school where I had a big group of girls. I think I had about 45 girls. Wow. And <laughs> I was sat in, we sit in circle often. So we were sat in this big circle and I was just telling them who I am and why I'm here. And often I'm not necessarily met with open arms, right? Because talking about body image or talking about in fact, anything to do with the body is personal and it requires vulnerability. And it also requires us to, to show up and participate. So it's not always the easiest sell. No. <laughs> Teenage girls are a tough but, crowd. Mm. Yes, so, so tough. And yet I realized I, so I kind of told them who I am, similar to what I did at the start of our podcast. And I am, am, then I said, does anybody have any questions? And because I'd mentioned that I'd worked for L'Oreal, one of the girls put her hand up and I was like, oh, great. Someone's enthusiastic already <laughs> before we've even started. And she, I said, go for it. And she said, uh, what was the biggest celebrity that you worked with? 
Oh, wow. And you're like, babe, no, this isn't what we're doing this for. (laughs) Well, the irony is that, and this is, this is one of my kind of my other big secrets is that I worked on a campaign with Beyonce because Beyonce was the face of L'Oreal Paris at the time that I worked there. And I just responded, Beyonce. And suddenly (laughs) I had every single one of their attention and they were on tenterhooks (laughs) for the whole of the workshop. I was like, I had them, like we were right there together. (laughs) And I realized at the end of it, (laughs) and I realized at the end of it, like, oh, you know, this is what it's about, right? It's how do we make contact? Often making contact, you guys know, because you have so many beautiful conversations on your podcast, it's hearing people's stories. It's hearing what their triumphs are. It's hearing what their challenges are. And like you said, Serena, if somebody can hear that from somebody that's just a few steps ahead of them in age, Mm. it perhaps makes it more tangible in terms of then digesting what does that mean for me I think it loops back to the to what I not very eloquent eloquently said about being cool in that like the minute you talk about Beyonce and you get their attention like you're no longer a stuffy adult you're someone who's (laughs) like great to take advice from because I, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right it makes you I can't put it into words. I know what you well, mean, though. And I, I also think that they'll then, uh, something like that where you can connect with people and it's just, it could be one word that you say for for anyone in a meeting or a, a yoga class and for you, Pippa, that be, the Beyonce moment and then they then go away and then they are more likely to, to say to their friends and start that conversation because they've had that connection with you and they're like, oh, we, this Beyonce woman at school said this and now we're talking about this and then they move into it or they go home and they tell their parents or something that's yeah it's powerful that's that's what I was trying to say thank you Sarah (laughs) (laughs) I I totally get it and I I mean something magic happens in the room and and when I say in the room, I mean in any group processing that I do. So some of that is in the NHS and some of it is in the private clinic too, is really my role for the most part is that I am facilitating holding space and staying with my own embodiment. So so staying and operating from a place where I am fully occupying my space whilst being in contact and responsive and in relationship with those in the room with me. And often what happens is I am doing so, so little. <laughs> uh, I might be prompting questions, but the group always finds its way to come in. And I think that it's such a gift at any age for us to be able to sit in presence and to really, truly hear somebody's answer when we're asking how they are, when we're asking what their biggest challenge is, instead of directing advice or instead of delivering, particularly in school or university, it's a lecture style. And I often have, if I'm doing anything in schools, then I have feedback forms and I'm so touched that the things that I read on there are things like, 
I feel like it's the first time someone's ever understood me or finally mm. someone's um, said what I was thinking or, and I often read those and as grateful as I am to, to hear it and to receive it, the truth is that some of the things that I might be suggesting or inquiring about are things that most likely a mother or a father or a sibling or a school have, but perhaps mm. the person hasn't heard it. They haven't been able to, um, to dial into their own feelings and the person on receipt hasn't been able to sit in presence without jumping in or without an expectation already of what their answer might be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Pippa, you, you mentioned, so you also teach teen, teen yoga um, and mm. I wanted to know how different that is to sort of teaching a a regular class and what some of the challenges are around teaching oh. teenage girls because I'm sure there are a lot and it's very different <laughs> it's such a great question and it's interesting because actually over time I feel like there is less and less difference I guess underlying is in terms of any movement or yoga practice that I'm offering or facilitating, really the crux of the intention that I have is to support our ability or develop our ability to self-regulate. So anybody that has worked with teenagers in any capacity, whether you are a yoga teacher or a school teacher, or you just know a teenager, you will know that they are most likely probably not going to hold back. So if you're offering something and they don't want to do it, there's a very likely possibility that they won't. <laughs> so you're going to yeah. hear about it pretty quickly. And I guess what I learned really early on working with teenagers is that they are, from the minute that they wake up, on a schedule and, and often dictated by somebody else where they have to be and at what time. And for me, teen yoga is not about directing poses or directing a sequence, which for me is just another way in which we might squash their ability to self-regulate. So yeah. <laughs> if I try and paint the picture, which is, um, is tricky because it's embodied, but the groups that I work with teens, I have two groups specifically, are relatively small groups. So the maximum I would have in my group in the NHS is 10. And I work with a group um, in London locally that I've actually had the pleasure of working with that group of girls for four years now. So it's oh, a really, lovely. really special group for me. But what it might look like practically is that I have three people that are in restorative or restful positions. I might have three people that are standing and moving and need to shake or need to kind of wriggle around and I might have four people that are just not sure and they're dropping in and out they're following my lead or following their own impulse and they're just moment by moment 
finding their way. So I am managing um, and holding and creating space where full permission is given to truly develop the skills to tune into what we need and then see if we can get behind it. And for me, that that's the life lesson, right? Mm. <laughs> and as somebody that practiced yoga for many, many years in a highly disassociated state, yes, I could leave feeling as though I had stretched a bit and that felt good often. Um, I was also in the practice of overriding my own sensation and feeling and feedback signals from the body in most of my waking day. <laughs> and my yoga practice was just another place for me to do that. The teacher says, hold something. My feedback signal is that I'm ready to come out. Um, the opposite could be true. So I'm in something and I found something that feels really interesting and joyful. And then I'm called to come out or I'm adjusted by someone in a way that then doesn't feel good. So that kind of underlying principle in terms of um, seeing if we can dial our attention in, seeing if we can notice what is the impulse, what does my body have to say? And then the challenge is, can I get behind it? Can I amplify it? Can I really allow that to be? Can I give full permission? And that's the same approach that I have for my adult classes mm. too. So um, I hope that you can kind of get a picture. Those that have practiced yeah. with me will have more of a sense. Pippa, this is something I've written down to, to become a question later because I, but I'm going to say it now because I, I think that this is the same thing. I have such a strong memory of an event that you ran at Lululemon for yoga teachers oh, and yeah. you led us through a, a very short practice. Um, and you said that, I think we were lying on our backs and you said, hug your knees into your chest and, you know, have a little rock side to side or whatever. And then you said, okay, and now notice how many of you did that, even though you actually wanted to just stay lying flat. And I think about it like once a week when I do something that I don't want to do or when I ignore my body. And I, and I guess often in a yoga class, that's, that's the prime example of you that, as you said, you do what the teacher says, even if that's not right. But yeah, it's really, really stuck with me. And I kind of, I wondered like, what, what is it about that that you think is, is problematic when we do ignore our body's signals and just go with what we've been told or asked or what we're expected? Well, firstly, thank you so much for sharing that with me, Serena. I, I remember that evening as well. And I think it's interesting because even just hearing it back, um, I guess it reminds me, so a, a big piece of my journey in all of this, which I didn't mention at the beginning, but I... I worked, started working with my teacher, Kate Ellis, one-to-one, -one, and I worked with her weekly one-to-one -one for five years. Wow. So I went on a massive body journey. <laughs> and that journey into my body also opened up the doorway for me to have psychological support. So I 
was in the body and then realized that I needed more support in terms of um, the processing side of what was finding its way through my my system as I was exploring movement. I guess for me, we can't separate body-mind. And so there was a, a very clear moment in my yoga journey with the support and container of my therapist and the work that I was doing with Kate, that it became so apparent how this pattern of numbing or overriding my own body wisdom was was playing out in all areas of my life. <laughs> and and the yoga practice was just one other place. It's not that that place had more, um, you know, the, the, the highlight is on that because I was practicing a lot of yoga, but it, it wasn't the only place that I was doing that. And so I guess that my journey of what I would call my kind of embodied journey of finding a way to come into my body in a way that felt safe, in a way that was um, kind of uh, deeply compassionate to myself, supported by the containers of others. It was in that journey that then when I was in life (laughs) and in, you know, challenges at work or in challenges in my relationships, that the body could become a place of um, orientation that I could develop slowly, slowly over a significant period of time, the trust to follow my intuition and then the kind of power and strength to stand behind um, my feelings. So Mm. I guess in terms of thinking about the implications, Serena, I, I guess I'm always curious to kind of ask the question, which is the question that I'm continuously asking myself, particularly when it comes to kind of yoga and um, our practice is like, how is it serving you? You know, truly, how is it serving you? And not just right here on the map, how is this showing up in your life? Because I guess for me, the crux of our yoga practice is consciousness and and that is consciousness, not just through the body system, but also through our psychological processing and and how how we are in relationship with ourselves and in relationship to others. So the fallout, I think, has the has the capacity to be quite big if we're not um, super attentive, um, depending what our challenges are. It's actually something I've been thinking about um, recently with all of the online yoga classes at the moment that either I'm leading or attending, um, attending sounds weird, doesn't it? Being part of, um, and <laughs> I've realized that cause it, it usually I'd sort of go to one or two classes a week and do everything that I'm told to do because I'm in a class. And sometimes I think, Oh, what if people know I'm a yoga teacher and then I'm not doing something and they think, Oh, what's she doing? But which is which is a very silly thought but now that I'm able to practice at home I've noticed how little I want to do and how most of the classes that I've actually been doing I've gone into something completely different 
I mean, I've mm-hmm. started going with the teacher and then gone into something completely different. And it's, it has felt the most supportive thing for myself right now to really tune into what I need and not just follow equally. So Sometimes I feel it's quite nice to be told what to do so you don't have to think. <laughs> totally, totally. And I think that I guess is the really fine balance balance of navigating as teachers or facilitators how do we offer containment and and absolutely people come to yoga to be guided <laughs> there, there is no doubt about that yeah. um, but how do we do that in a way that truly facilitates choice I think for me that's a, a pretty um, significant area in which I think in as a yoga industry we can continue to to deepen our kind of awareness around that how do we continuously offer choice and not get attached to anybody's practice or what we think it should or feel you know should look like or feel like yeah so it's really interesting that you say that Sarah because I have also had um, contact with clients some of whom are saying uh, things like they finally feel like they are able to give, you know, give themselves permission because the distraction around is less that they can, in some ways it kind of turns up the information channel of your body, right? That you could kind of hear it perhaps a bit louder than you might do in a class. And I, I really, really hope that if that's the case, that it supports individuals when we go back into our beautiful studios and we connect together as a community that we can carry that with us because I think in a class setting it's challenging I mean there's no doubt about that yeah definitely Pippa we've been looking at you a lot (laughs) creepy (laughs) all of the lovely things that you've put put out online (laughs) we've been stalking you secretly Um, and we believe that you you love the quote which also we love we rise by lifting others and we wanted to just sort of talk about why this is so important for women now more than ever and how we can all really benefit from living by that quote and taking that advice because it is so needed and I think definitely in the yoga community and through women coming together it's needed more more now than ever Mm, absolutely and thank you for reading it back to me it's just such a beautiful <laughs> quote and thank it's you always, for introducing always... us to it <laughs> it's always helpful to be reminded I guess for me it's the reminder of we are not meant to be isolated <laughs> we are not meant to face life alone full stop And I think we, as women, have more power, more choice. There's still obviously a long way to go, but we have perhaps more now at our kind of fingertips than ever before. And with that, I think there can be the kind of challenge of then thinking that we can do all things all the time and we can be all roles of mother, of businesswoman, of friend, of wife, of, you know, sister. It goes on and on and on. And I think we are fundamentally set up to fail if we 
believe that we have to do things on our own. And my experience of sitting in circles with girls or with women is that I always leave feeling strengthened or feeling empowered and inspired by their presence and by our shared gifts and knowledge. And it's interesting because in terms of, well, in often in terms of crisis, women come together. That's what we do. <laughs> we are, yeah. if we think about tribal history, a- a- again, we would be sistering, you know, sisterhood. We would be using our innate and inherent divine mothering, nurturing skills to support one another. And I think there's perhaps, or my experience, at least a long time ago now, because it was a long time ago, of being in business and being in fashion was that women were often pitched against one another. And I feel so lucky now to have the most incredible women in my life, both professional peers and also my closest, um, you know, my closest sisterhood and circle where I would not be here without them. You know, I have no um, false (laughs) kind of reality or expectation of myself And I think I did, you know, a long time ago that it would be seen as a weakness to draw on others. And I couldn't feel further from that now. And I think we are all supported by lifting one another, by sharing skills, by by acknowledging the strength of our collectiveness. And and I think that in some ways, you know, the work that I do holds me accountable to that, right? Because yeah. I I facilitate and I I I am committed to continuously stepping into that. And I think the more that we do it, the more we realize we just we can't live without that. <laughs> Definitely, that and gave me tingles. From, I know it was Aww. beautiful. I just think it moves you from such a different. Um, place and it it sort of stirs everything that you do in life from a place of love rather than one of sort of of competition or um negativity and I just think when you join forces with people doing beautiful things and just caring for each other and wanting this whole partnership and community to to bring each other up rather than tear each other down it's just the most uplifting thing isn't it just to be in that Mm. together what's the there was a nice hashtag for a bit on insta that was like collaboration not competition or something yeah oh I didn't see that love that why don't we finish off with healthy habits because for the lucky listeners I believe Pippa is going to lead us all through her healthy habit tell us first Pippa about your healthy habit and what you because you very kindly sent sent us over a, a voice note and so yeah. we have also done it. <laughs> oh, great. And I'm so looking forward to hearing about your experience or just um, even of just following my voice in a minute. But I decided that my healthy habit to bring to you today is what I call an embodied check-in. And anybody that's been to a yoga class, probably most of your listeners 
will have experienced something similar perhaps at the start of class, which we might refer to as the the check-in or the moment that we take to land and arrive. And the embodied check-in is something that I do in nearly all circles and groups that I work in. And I also do it one-to-one. So it's a practice that I'm continuously doing with clients and with myself as well. So hopefully this will be a, a sweet taster for you. And what I would say is that if anyone is uh, driving, not that many of us are going anywhere right now, but if you are, I don't know, on a bike or uh, running, then um, perhaps tune into this bit later. But if you are at home somewhere that's safe and comfortable to do so, then we can dive in if that's okay, Sarah and Serena. Yes, Brill. Okay, perfect. So just taking a moment, depending on how you are sat, to just get comfortable. If you feel like you need to shake your wrists or your ankles for a moment, just see if you can take a moment to settle yourself into a position If your impulse is that you feel like you want to come onto your back, you could do this on your back with your knees bent, feet flat on the floor. If you're seated, then just make sure that you feel your feet can be flat on the ground, perhaps that your back is supported. And if it feels safe and okay to do so, then... Perhaps close your eyes or just drop your gaze so that your eyes are soft. And just take a moment to feel the support of the ground underneath you or your seat, depending on how you're set. And see if you can allow your body to take up some support. Perhaps see if you can let your jaw soften, the muscles in your face soften. And then perhaps just bring one hand or you could have one hand resting on top of the other to be on your heart space. And see if you can feel, sense your breath. I'm not trying to change your breath in any way, just seeing if you can feel your inhale and your exhale. So you might have a sense of your front body moving into your hands on your in-breath and your front body softening towards your back body on your exhale. And just see if you can tune in to the question, how am I doing? How am I doing? What is it to be in my body in this moment? 
you might become aware of sensation or even tension in the body. You might become aware of your thoughts. You might become aware of your emotional or psychological landscape, your energy levels, your feeling. To see if you can give yourself the time to ask the question and to really hear the answer without judgment. Just to notice. That's great. And then from here, perhaps we can just take a deep breath in together. So just feeling in to your heart space, expanding your rib cage. And then breathing all the way out. Scream. And you can let your eyes flutter if they're open. So how are you doing? <laughs> oh, that was so lovely. It's so nice, isn't it? Oh, I really needed that. Thank you, Pippa. Can I ask what, what came up for you? Was there anything that you noticed that was perhaps surprising or just interesting? Um, for me, it wasn't really surprising, but I've got um, it's the first day of my period and I've got incredible period pains <laughs> right now. Mm. And to be able to just sort of soften the body for a moment and let myself go and just surrender to what's going on rather than try to sort of fight it and push through, was really lovely, really needed that. So what about important. you, Serena? I think for me it's, it was a sense that I am much more tired than I would like to admit. I think, you know, when like all day you've been like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then when you stop, you're like, oh God, my legs hurt, my shoulders feel tight, I feel knackered, I need to chill. Yeah. But it's it's not really in our nature to to let ourselves. And it's one of those things. It's so easy <laughs> to give that advice to all my clients. And then when it comes to me, I don't let myself stop. I so relate to that too, Serena. And I think you've both just given us such beautiful examples of how when we reduce some of the external stimulation or we turn the dial of the external noise down that what happens is that the internal noise or the internal landscape of the body can come to the forefront because the tiredness was there already for you Serena yeah. and the period pains were there already for you too Sarah <laughs> so we we're yeah. not you know I mean we we run from it all in incredibly fascinating um, and intelligent ways <laughs> but it will catch up with us and I think that often we hear a question throughout the day, right? How are you? How are you? How are you? And we might not even give ourselves a moment to respond and, and not actually um, take the time to, to hear what the body has to say. 
So for you, Pippa, is that something that you do first thing when you wake up or just at any time during the day that you're like, whoa, I need to slow down. I need to check in. It's a really good question. And I would love to say that it's the first thing that I do when I wake up, but I am human (laughs) and it's definitely not always the first thing I do when I wake up. I would say that I have definitely developed it as a practice to do probably at least twice a day. And I would also say that I have I guess kind of practiced a kind of, I gave you guys a few minutes, but I also have a kind of faster track version now where if I bring a hand to my heart space that I just literally take a moment to drop in. So interestingly, just before we got on the session together, I was having technological problems and my brother was helping me and once we got set up and then it was like a minute to jump onto the call with you guys that I just stopped (laughs) and gave Mm. myself that moment to drop in. And so I don't have kind of specific times. I try and do it every day. And in particular, if I'm noticing that I'm grouchy or that I'm stressed or that I've responded to someone or something in a way that I maybe would not do if I gave it more thought, then I might take a moment to check in and think, what's going on? How am I doing? And often something will come, right? Like, oh, I'm tired. And maybe I was just a bit grouchy with my sister because I'm tired, not because I'm a bad person, but just because I'm tired. And actually I just need an early night. I really love this. I think that this is something that I'll definitely end up doing oh yeah I think um what would be nice to do for our listeners is to um we'll leave in the show notes the exact time that Pippa starts um the embodied check-in so if you're listening now and you want to do this daily or whenever you need it you can go into the show notes and see exactly the time that we start this and you could just use Pippa's beautiful soft voice to soothe you for a moment because I think I'll probably need that too Sarah that is such a nice idea it is isn't it you're not just a pretty face hun (laughs) (laughs) you're the best podcast wife ever that was such a nice idea (laughs) oh I love that and then it's a resource right and I think once once we're in the habit of it you know my voice can kind of fall away and it will it will become a habit I think that that's that's so important for us to feel like we can take ownership of it for sure and I think at the beginning it's so helpful just like you said Sarah in terms of yoga classes that somebody can help us gather our attention in we need that I need that still yeah for sure. absolutely yeah. oh Pippa oh. you've been so so lovely to speak to my pleasure thank you so much for having me girls and i can't wait to catch up with you again very soon thank you you. bye-bye oh what a dreamy woman thank you so so much pippa for joining us she is an absolute delight i feel so lovely and calm after speaking with her and if you all want to learn a bit more about pippa we'll leave her details in the show notes under the podcast episode and if you want to get the delicious recipe from today's episode then you can head to our instagram at k 
Kitchen Club podcast and do keep tagging us in what you make. We love seeing you. Thank you again for joining us. We love having you here and we'll see you next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.